Welcome to the Gotham Sports Report Podcast on 89.1 FM WNYU. Here are your hosts, Jack Dweck, Joe Kurtz, and Morris Zarif. Hello and welcome to the Gotham Sports Report. I'm Jack H. Dweck, along with Joe Kurtz and Mars Zadi, fresh off of vacation, sporting a beautiful tan. So, guys, this week, um, I think the theme this week was all about value, right? I think that, especially with what happened last night, the Matthew Stafford trade um, from the Lions to the Los Angeles Rams establishes the value of the quarterback position. And why I think that's important for us to speak about is this impacts the Jets offseason. The Jets offseason is basically surrounded by the the Jets offseason is based upon what they're going to do at the quarterback position. Are they going to keep Sam Darnold? Are they going to trade Sam Darnold? Are they going to pick at two a new quarterback? Are they going to trade for Deshaun Watson? I think that's all set by this trade. What do you guys think? So I still think the Jets should go after Watson. I think that Watson's a once in a generation talent. And people are saying that the Stafford trade is setting the market and rightfully so they got, they had to give up two first round picks, the Rams to get him. And people are saying that's a lot for a, mid thirties year old quarterback who has individual success, but not really any team success in his career. But when you look at Watson, who's in his mid twenties, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity for a quarterback to be available. Rarely do you ever see quarterbacks being traded, let alone one that leads the league in passing yards and is a once in a generation talent and definitely a top five quarterback in our league. So the jets with their pick, if they're looking to replace Donald in the draft, what they're hoping is to even get someone who could even match Deshaun Watson. They're not going to get someone who's going to exceed him. So why not give up the picks to get him? My argument for that is, look, I think they should go after Watson. Like you said, he's a once-in-generation type talent, and he can bring the team to another level that they haven't seen since Joe Namath, honestly. But my argument for that is that they're losing four assets – four first-round picks that they're going to attempt to even try to bring in Watson. And that will obviously hurt the team. I think Jack's made this argument countless times that giving up the draft picks doesn't always mean it's you're losing out on the long run. I do think they should go after Watson, though, but there's an argument to be made not to go after Watson because I can't believe I'm saying this. There's an argument for them. I don't believe they should keep Darnold in New York. He's not their guy, in my opinion. He hasn't succeeded there. I don't think he will succeed there. But there's an argument to be made that Darnold could succeed in New York with the four draft picks that they do have potentially. I don't think they should hold on to to it. I think you do whatever you possibly can to get Deshaun Watson into New York. He's a stud. He's the second or third to best quarterback in the game right now. And he's brought what he did with the Texans with no general manager, no head coaching. He basically took a team that was in the trash and he made them relevant for the past five years so there's two arguments to be had here one is what they're going to have to give up for deshaun watson two is what they're willing to give up so i think that first before we're willing to talk about what the jets could give up we have to talk about what sam darnold's worth 
And I think that a trade like this, where there were two first-round picks given in exchange for a 32-year-old quarterback with an injury history, yes, I understand that he has the potential to be great in this Rams offense, but he still they still gave up two first-round picks. And on top of that, the Rams weren't a quarterback-needy team. They weren't a team that everybody had, like the Colts or Washington or the 49ers, as that team that was going to go and get a quarterback. So that means the Jets still have their front runners, their, those three teams who were thought to be the front runners to trade for Sam Darnold. They, those teams are still in contention. They didn't trade for Matthew Stafford, which would hurt the Jets. So the Jets still have their pick of the litter of teams to trade Sam Darnold to. If they trade Sam Darnold, that's more picks that they could use in a potential Deshaun Watson trade. In addition, Joe Douglas seems like he was willing, especially last year, to trade back and pick from worse spots and pick guys that he believes in, right? He has that scouting background that he could choose someone, maybe a project, a reclamation project or someone with an injury history that they could take later in the draft and see success out of. I don't think it's a concern if they trade three or four first round picks for literally a franchise quarterback. This is not someone that you, that you have any doubt could lead a team. To trade four first-round picks who you don't know if they could lead a team. You don't know if they're going to be Deshaun Watson. You're literally hoping that those picks turn out to be Deshaun Watson. Why wouldn't you do it? Why wouldn't you give up those first-round picks for literally a top-five quarterback in this league? Theoretically, I'm on the same side as you that acquiring Deshaun Watson for the picks isn't a problem to me because the way I look at draft picks is that there's prospect they're just suspect until they actually prove themselves and Deshaun Watson is already proven he's already a superstar in our league so I have no problem giving up the picks but we have to talk about what the Texans actually want from the trade because who's to say that they just want the picks people are saying that they also want people like Quinn and Williams and as a Jet fan and as Jet ownership and as Joe Douglas, you have to ask yourself, is it really worth giving up our possibly our best defensive player along with three of our three to four of our draft picks, first round picks for Deshaun Watson? I want to know what you guys think about that. It's all based on that. It's all based not on the value of what's in the package of what the Jets or the Dolphins offer. It's all in where Deshaun Watson wants to go because he could threaten to veto any trade that he wants to. So the but is he going to sit out for the year? Where he wants no. to go. If he wants to go to the 49ers, if he wants to go to the 49ers and they offer one first-round draft pick and the Texans, unless they're willing to sit him down for a whole year and, and lose out on the first-round pick that they'll get from a quarterback and the quarterback himself, then the only option is to trade him to the team that Deshaun Watson wants to go to. And if so that's the Jets, down for a year. Um, I don't know if it is, but if I'm the Jets, and I know that he has that potential pick, I'm not going to be willing to, to, to offer up my whole future for Deshaun Watson. I don't even see any chance that he sits down for the year, realistically. I mean, he's, how old is he, like 24, 25? He hadn't torn ACL in his career, and he's making $40 million this year. Would he really actually go and sit down for a full season just to get his way? And who's to say that they're going to trade him the next offseason? His value is going to diminish that way by sitting. Joe, I agree with you. I don't believe he'll sit down for the whole year, but we've seen crazier things like with Le'Veon Bell sitting out the whole season. There was always a talk about it year after year with the franchise tag with Le'Veon, but obviously he did end up sitting out the whole year. Deshaun Watson is a guy that will transform the Jets 
or any team he goes to, to no matter what. I do believe he wants to come to New York, and for countless reasons, one being he could be a face of a franchise that's been in demise since 1969. That's just one of the biggest reasons ever. Imagine being the quarterback that leads the Jets to uh, Super Bowl. Two, I believe the Jets are in somewhat of a win-now mode, a little bit. Hiring Robert Sala, who's a guy who's tough with his players and wants to win right away. And then having the defense also, which is very, it's very solid defense right now. It's very underrated, very solid. So I do believe the pieces that the Jets have around him, if they don't have to give up Quinton Williams and other defensive pieces like Marcus May, I believe they're fine. I just, I do think uh, the Jets are one of the top notches, um, top spots for Deshaun Watson to try to come to New York. And I think Joe touched on it. It's not so much as the Jets um, themselves, because I think that there are better options available, obviously, like the Dolphins on the field. But I don't think there's a better option for Watson to build his brand, right? You're you're seeing right now different. You saw Eli Manning earn over ten million dollars a year in endorsements. Remember Dunkin' Donuts is Dunkin' Donuts commercials. You're not seeing that from Deshaun Watson Trust on national me, I TV. Remember like his you're Dunkin from Donuts Patrick commercial. Mahomes. You're not seeing uh, uh, those endorsements for Deshaun Watson like you're seeing for Aaron Rodgers. And going to New York instantly puts him onto that national conversation, the national endorsements from companies, which is going to net him millions of dollars a year. So there should be other incentives. Also, like Mara said, the, the opportunity to lead a, a, a team that really hasn't had any promise since the 60s, right? The ability to do that, sort of like leading the Knicks to a championship, it's that will make you immortal in a city where it's very difficult to be immortal. And I think that if he's willing to be up for that opportunity, it would be really cool because He's coming from a Texans organization. He's coming from Houston, where people have literally left in the last year in droves. You have Harden leaving, Springer leaving. Um, J.J. Watt wants out of Houston as well. All right, Houston seems like it's, it's, it's just not the place to be anymore, especially because it's not a money issue. With Le'Veon Bell, he sat out the year because it was a money issue. Here, we really don't know what the issue is outside of McNair's politics, which could be an issue. Um, the fact that Watson didn't get a say in the coach or the general manager is an issue. And I think that these issues, these are more emotional issues. These are more issues where, where he's angry with the franchise, not just, not just on a monetary standpoint, but on a foundational standpoint on what they believe in. And I think but, that's, that's more difficult to change than to just offer him more money. What makes no sense to me is he signed this extension in September. Like McNair didn't change his politics suddenly from September till now. So if you really had an issue with the front office and their views, then why sign the extension? You could have gotten the money anywhere you wanted to go. Why would you re-sign with the team that you know doesn't view, like look at things the same way you do and you don't agree with how they, they act and view things? So maybe it's because of the GM hiring. I don't know. Is that really enough to make someone sit out a year and lose on $40 million and, and bash the franchise? I don't know if it's as much if it's as much of the politics as it is of a personnel decision. Really, in the past six months, Easterby has cemented his post, right? After the firing of Bill O'Brien, who was still there, who was the who was the architect of that DeAndre Hopkins trade? It was Easterby. And he was still there after Bill O'Brien was fired, and he was still there for the hiring of a new general manager. And I think that that's the biggest problem in the Houston Texans organization is that McNair 
really trusts Easterby and was willing is I think is going to be willing to to take him for the Texans over Deshaun Watson. And I think that if they fire Easterby, I really think that Deshaun Watson would be willing to stay. I think that's the biggest problem in the Houston, Texas organization. What do you think, Morris? I don't, I just don't, I don't see them firing Easterby. I don't see them doing all those things to try to keep Deshaun Watson then there because I think it's just a cultural issue with um, the owner McNair. And it's been like that for quite a while. They've never done anything to try to keep the players, especially even there was problems dating back to when DeAndre Hopkins was there. They obviously thought that Bill, they, they decided Bill O'Brien was the guy over DeAndre Hopkins. So they traded away DeAndre Hopkins. So I don't think, there it's just a cultural issue and i don't see it i don't see ever reprimanding there look it would be it would be tr- smart to try to help Deshaun watson say but i don't see them um i don't see him staying especially with the new hire at head coach i forget him forgetting his name off the top of my head the guy's 65 years old he's a short-term guy he's not going to be there for long it seems like they're trying to transition into a new stage Without Deshaun Watson, they'll probably have this guy for a couple of years, and then yeah, he's just a he's just a puppet until until McCown could take over. But they can't really hire McCown because people are gonna call them out for not hiring enemy at that point and taking a chance on a guy who just retired. That's what I see that as, and everyone knows it in football. So guys, while we're on the topic of incompetent ownership, um, New York has seen its fair share of incompetent owners, and, and especially the Wilfons, and finally. Finally, in 2020, the one thing good that came out of the year is that we got rid of the Wilpons as Met fans. And Steve Cohen comes in on his, on his white horse and chariot to rescue the Mets franchise. Um, we've seen him be public on Twitter. We've seen him engage with the fans. We've seen that he's willing to spend on free agents. But then this week happened, right? The GME short squeeze happened where – I'll just explain it quickly. No, 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 no. Chill. They want an NYU Stern kid explaining it. A kid who, who's learning this in school, but not actually learning it. He doesn't know anything, but he'll explain it to the crowd. So, I will. so, hey, GME, I'll just explain Steve Cohn's connection to it. I don't want to get into finance on a sports show. So, yeah, this, no, don't worry. I don't get into finance. Steve I don't Cohen, know anything. Steve Cohn's protege, right, was the owner or the, or the lead head fund manager of Melvin Capital. And Melvin Capital had a 138% short on GameStop stock, which meant that once it gets squeezed, once it got squeezed, Melvin lost billions of dollars. So to bail out Melvin, Steve Cohn gave him $750 million, the longest Citadel Capital, which gave $2 billion. So as it continued to get squeezed after Steve Cohen gave the bailout, Steve Cohen lost about $2 billion in the past week. On top of that, on Thursday, Robinhood, which Steve Cohen sat on the board of for many years, and Citadel Capital owns a 40% ownership stake, Robinhood shut down trading, which allowed Steve Cohen and Melvin Capital and Citadel to cover some of those short bets and allowed them to make back some of that money. So Barstool Sports founder Dave Pornoy got into a Twitter spat with Steve Cohen himself when Steve Cohen seemed to be bragging on his Twitter um, about his success or about him sort of beating 
the little guy. And I just wanted to talk to you guys about Steve Cohen, and he, he deleted his Twitter on Friday night. And so that experiment or that, that sort of engaging with the fan phase of, of this ownership, the, the honeymoon phase of this ownership is over. What do you guys think? It's so funny to me because Steve Cohen went from literally one of the most liked Twitter accounts, especially by New York sport fans, in one day to being the most hated, especially after he got into a fight with the people's leader, the man of the people, Dave Portnoy, about this. And just tweeting obnoxiously about, about the GameStop and especially during a time where people are calling him out for market manipulation with Robin Hood. So it's just funny to me. The Mets can never have something good for them. It's just anything that anything that is looks good for them, it just goes wrong so and fast. And this is why I think this is why you gotta keep the finance separate or the job separate from the team because you're never going to hear Hal Steinbrenner talk about business. And you obviously know that he has things that he does or hedge funds that he, that he, that he invests his money in outside of the Yankees, but you're never going to hear from him. Jim Dolan makes billions from, from Comcast, I believe, or cable vision, one of those. And he doesn't talk about that outside of the Knicks or on the same platform that he talks about the Knicks. You're not going to see him going on to the Michael K show or, or Craig Carton to talk about his business. So I think Steve Cohen really needed to decide, am I going to, I'm going to, like, going to use this as a personal account or am I going to use this as sort of a team account where I, where I promote the Mets? And I think the problem is that he sort of went into that finance role. He got too personal on the Twitter and that hurt him because he shouldn't be sharing his personal stories. The Mets knew or Mets fans knew his history of paying $2 billion in fines for insider trading, they didn't care. I don't think they would have cared if he didn't, if he wasn't so blase, if he wasn't so open about what he did on Twitter last night. So Steve Cohen obviously was trying to balance on the, he was trying to balance between being a hedge fund manager and being the Mets owner. He's still learning how to be an owner. He's still learning when to speak out on certain issues, when to not speak out on certain issues. And he did speak out right away on um, Jared Porter, which was incredible. He did that correctly. But now he has to learn not to be that guy. He, has, he doesn't want to bring business into the sports world, into his professional sports franchise world. He has to learn how to keep everything uh, uh, separately, everything in his portfolio, whether it's the Mets, his stocks, his whatnot. He has to learn how to keep that separately because it just it's a touchy issue with people's money and what, especially what happened this week and how Robin Hood just didn't let people make trades after a couple of days. It was just a very touchy issue. He could say whatever he wants because he's a billionaire, and so it doesn't. It matters whatever. Don't get me wrong, but it's for the people, the little guys that unfortunately couldn't trade back and forth and lost out on a lot of money. It's, it was unfair. So and he has he was, to learn. Right, and I don't remember a fight that Dave Porno didn't win. And he was It's the stocks here. Bet on Penn Gaming. It is the stock. Continue. And he was unequivocally denying any sort of market manipulation, but and he's saying that he had no involvement or role in it, and he's a good clean pass. But like when you look at his pass, you have to pay the what is it, the most hefty SEC fine in the history for insider trading. So this guy's he made his money mostly cleanly, but not all cleanly. So why should people even believe him? They're just he's just fueling the fire more to people who actually know a dot about his past, and they're gonna say, and "All right, he, he, he made his money of trading, two-year suspension for trading after paying that fine." And yeah, 
which he narrowly missed jail time, narrowly. Um, but I think also this addresses an issue with the Mets. And I think a PR issue that the Mets have had for years, um, an issue with the Mets losing leadership in the front office lately. I, having recently elevated their assistant GM um, to general manager, I think this goes to a, lot, a broader issue of who's the leader of the Mets? Why should their owner have to be the leader of this team? Where if you look to, to the Yankees and you look to other teams, especially with the Yankees, Aaron Boone's the spokesperson of the team. Brian Cashman's the spokesperson of the team. You don't have to go directly to the owner to get the information that you want. And why should the Mets, why should Mets fans have to go to the owner, have to go to Steve Cohen himself to get that information? Why do we have to, why do we need to get it from the top source? Why can't the organization itself, why can't the Mets Twitter, why can't they be personable? Why can't they engage with the fans? Why can't the Mets organization themselves, other people in the front office engage with the fans? That's what I think. I think that the, the, the Mets as a whole need to do a better job. The Mets as a whole have to hire more people, right? They, they sort of lost people. They, they couldn't find a team president or, or a president of baseball operations. They had to fire their GM. This is a recipe, I think, for disaster. If they don't have the ability or if they can't and they haven't hired people to take care of public relations, they haven't hired people to take care of player operations. And I think that's going to be a problem for the Mets if they don't address that soon. And when it comes to the Mets, you got to give them a couple. You got to give them a little bit of time. It just it's not conceivable to think that he has to hire every single person right away in order to have them say, "Yeah, don't don't get me wrong, it's a smart thing to do." I do think if they have it by the beginning of the of the baseball season with April first, whatever it is, if it starts on time, I think they'll be fine. When it comes to the Mets, it's like Murphy's Law is true that everything that could go wrong will go wrong. And it just seems that like year after year, not even year after year, like month after month, there's a new headline about the front office. And you don't want to have headlines about the front office. You want to have headlines about the players, about acquisitions, about winning. But it's not like the Mets have that. They, they just have different storylines. Jared Porter, Carlos Beltran, Steve Cohen, Will Pond. Those are their storylines. It's, it's not something you want. And I think the biggest thing that got overshadowed this week and was, was a great move by the Mets, was that Steven Match trade, where pundits and, and people and reporters yeah, were saying, when the Mets tendered him a contract, why would they do that? Why would they give a double-digit ERA player, right? Why would they give him a contract? Why would they give him $5 million when there are free agents available and there's people available for trade? But Sandy Alderson said in his first introductory press conference that his main goal outside of improving this team on the field right now is building up depth in the minors and building up triple A major league ready depth. And he did that with this trade. And I don't think anybody would have thought that they could get three prospects. I understand that they're decent, not great prospects. Especially me. For Steven Matz, a 30-year-old left-handed pitcher who really hasn't been great for years now, hasn't been consistent for years since his 2015-2016 brief stint of success. I see this move as a gorgeous move. It's, it was everybody, everybody's in agreement on this move. I just think now they need one more small move. I don't know who they could lay off, who they could trade on that roster in order to get Bauer. I see this move being a leading uh, case to get in order to get Trevor Bauer on a discount deal. I'm sure he'll take in order to try to win the World Series. He's at this point, he's not getting his $40 million Wait, for one. Why, why are you so sure about him taking a discount deal? Because I th- see the Mets as a, a team win? that possibly win. 
I do. Um, as crazy as it seems. And you think Trevor Bauer is going to take less money than he deserves to, to win? Well, he's or you mean less money than he asked for? He's clearly not getting 40 or 30 million right now. He's clearly not getting it. I don't, I don't, I think it's clear that he's not getting 40, but 30, I, I don't see that being so clear. Listen, I, I don't think the Mets, I don't think the Mets, you've seen with I, I don't think they should give the them, Mets but... aren't willing to give that extra $5 million. The Mets aren't willing to give that extra $10 million. They have a price that they set for players and they're not willing to go over it. If they want a player, the player's going to have to come to them. I, I do, no, well, I think if they gave up another person on that roster, I don't know whether it's an outfielder, a fourth outfielder that they're able to trade in order to get Bauer. I think they do make that move. He's a free agent. I but, really do think they make that move. But listen, Bauer. he wants more money than Garrett Cole has. Show me the stats. Where he's not he's getting worth it. that amount of money. Show me the stats outside of his one good year in a, in a season where he made, I think, 11, 10 or 11 starts. How does that justify? How well, does that justify? In the words of Carlin, he had one and a half good seasons. He had one and a half good seasons. He's not worth the money. And look at, look, at his, look at the teams he pitched against last year. If you say that LeBron James got a Mickey Mouse title, this guy got a Mickey Mouse Cy Young last year. He played against garbage. Not one good team. He had one good, two good teams he played against. And one of them makes him earn money. The one in the playoffs where he went like nine innings against the Braves and still lost, but that's a team issue. And the other one versus the White Sox. Every other start he had were against teams like the Pirates and the, and like the Royals. And the Royals, Royals yeah. Tigers. Tigers. You know, I really thought that the Mets should get after. And I really I, thought that the Mets. What, I, I really thought the Mets should go for Jack. A move for was Masahiro Tanaka. And I thought that the Mets mm-hmm. would be a great opportunity for Masa because he would be living first so in the happy. same place. Oh, I'm so happy. He'd be living in the same place. He wouldn't have to move to another city. Obviously, he's not from this country. And he would get be able to get more money, obviously a lot more than what he got going he's, back to Japan. I think only 6 or $7 million. And he, he would have got probably $15 million a year, year from the Mets. And I think that that would have been a great opportunity to have someone with playoff experience. Um, pitching on this roster, someone yeah, but dependable on he, this roster. He's a loyal Yankee till he dies. He chose Japan over choosing another team because he's coming back next year, and everyone knows it. I think it clearly showed that the Yankees w- did not want to bring him back. And the Yankees, oh, uh, he said it. He said it himself. To he said he knew from early on. He said yeah. he knew from early on. His agent told him that it, it wasn't going to happen. He should start looking at other options like Japan. Yeah, and I think that the I Yankees the- obviously made other moves to address it. Yeah, they acquired when they acquired Tyone and Kluber. I think they made the smarter decision because once two starters is better than one. Yes, obviously Tanaka is a consistent guy. You know what you're gonna get out of it. But I do love the upside on on, on Tyone and Kluber, both guys who could be number two, number three starters right now in this rotation. And when Sebi comes back, it's a great four-headed monster, especially with Debbie Garcia and Jordan Montgomery on the rise. But what I don't understand. But what I don't understand is that the Yankees' biggest problem for the last two or three years has not been the pitching talent. They've had the pitching talent there. It's the pitching dependability. It's, it's that yeah. they have pitchers to go out on the field. And I think the problem with this is maybe if you have one out of these two stay healthy, great. But the problem is the odds aren't in their favor. These are two guys that have not pitched a lot in the last two years. So if you're going to depend on these guys and if you're going to have to depend on these guys, that's going to be a problem. And the Yankees obviously have stacked up their pitching in terms of volume, right? In terms of how many pitchers they added to last year 
and getting back Domingo Herman from from suspension, that's going to help them. But I don't think if this pitching staff um, gets injured that they'll that, and and if they're not dependable, I don't think they'll have enough um, to get them over the hump in the playoffs of where they were last year. I just I don't see any teams contending with the Yankees in the AL because the Astros got worse, the Angels got worse, um, the Angels are plateauing, um, the Rays got worse. Um, who else? The Blue Jays did get better, but I, they still don't have any pitching. The White Sox, <laughs> the Twins, they, they will never be able to beat the Yankees in one game in the playoffs. I just don't see any team that will be able to beat the Yankees. It's just in the AL. And I think yeah, the yeah, White Sox, I think the White Sox are serious contenders. Um, no with with that young routine, they are serious contenders for for the AL with the Yankees. And I think that especially with the Blue Jays coming out in the AL East. And, and you still have the Rays, who don't who don't make trades that they don't know they have a chance to fill in for those players, that there will be still competition in the AL, right? If we look at the past three years, the Yankees were the favorite going into those years to win the AL and didn't. So I think there's still an option um, for other teams to come in and take over the AL. I'm not going to be as quick as to rule off the White Sox like Mozart did. I still think the Yankees outbeat them with the pitching, even though they're injured, injury-prone. If they're healthy, like the Yankees are betting on, and hopefully they're right, then they could have a solid, like three solid start threes and then a great one. And Severino coming back end of the summer, like I think Michael K just announced that's going to happen. I think that there's just had more like experience, to, which outweighs them, and that'll just push them over the top. But I'm not going to be as quick to rule other teams out. All right, and that ends our show for today. Um, we'd like to thank you for listening and tune in next week, Sunday, 4.30 for our special Super Bowl Sunday um, episode where we'll break down the Super Bowl matchup and make our picks. Um, you can always check us out on Spotify. Thank you for listening. So...